0: Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now let's get into today's reading. Okay, here we go.
1: Acts chapter 9. And here's what it says Then Saul, and of course, as I mentioned, this He becomes the Apostle Paul in this chapter, actually. Then Saul, still breathing threats. I should stop and say, he's not named an Apostle exactly here, but he is told in this chapter about what things the Lord has for him in the future. Okay, here we go. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So in the last chapter, we saw that Saul was leading the charge with this horrible persecution of the church, the believers in Jesus. And it says, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus. Now, this is down in Jerusalem in the southern part of Israel, but now he's wanting to travel all the way up to the north through Samaria through Galilee and all the way into Syria, all the way to Damascus. And he is asking the the rulers of the Jewish people, give me letters so that I can go all the way to Damascus and find these Jesus believers and to imprison them and bring charges against them. So notice they're not deploying him. He is asking them to do it. He's the initiator. There is a real anger and hatred in his heart toward these so-called Christians, as they will be called eventually. So he asked for letters uh, from him to the synagogue. This is from the high priest of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, that is uh, talking about the way of the Lord or the way of being a believer in Jesus, any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he would bring them back as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly, now he's traveled all the way up through the land of Israel into what we know today as Syria, and he's coming up on Damascus now. And the Bible says, and as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven, Then he fell to the ground. This light was so bright. This was not like just a normal light or sunlight. This was so bright in the daytime. And it says, Then he fell down to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. So notice this voice that he heard is calling him by name. This person knows who he is. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Notice how personal this is. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And so, you know, people that would have cattle and things that would be moving uh, animals along, livestock and such, they would have these goads that would have a a pointed, sharp edge. And when you stick the animal, it'd make the animal move. And that, that way they could get animals to go the right way. Well, notice Jesus is the one speaking here. And Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? And he, uh, Paul said, or Saul said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, Saul wasn't persecuting Jesus personally, but he was persecuting the church, which is, guess what? The body of Christ. Well, if if you hit somebody in the side, they would, they would not say, why did you hit my side? They may say, why did you hit me? See, because your body is part of you. And this is exactly the way Jesus feels. If you come against his body, his family, then you're coming against him. That's the body of Christ. And so he says, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And so uh, he's saying, Saul, you're kicking up against something that is going to hurt you. (laughs) it's going to hurt you. It's going to bring judgment back to you. So he, Saul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? I mean, the Lord has his attention. What do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise, go into the city, that's Damascus, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were open, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. So Saul is temporarily blind here, and they had to lead him by the hand to get him into the city. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. This is how affected he was by this, how impacted he was, afraid, And now he's not eating, he's not drinking, he can't see. His life has been altered. So this was a tremendous confrontation by Jesus. Verse 10, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Notice, not a pastor, not a priest, not an apostle, no, a disciple named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in a vision, this is Jesus speaking Ananias, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise, go to the street called straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. So this gives us another thought about what was happening during those three days. Saul was praying. He is calling out to God, Show me what to do, help me, heal me, Uh, open my eyes, etc. And so it says, Inquire for Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. So this tells us that during those three days, Saul, as he's praying, he saw a vision of somebody named Ananias coming in to the house, putting his hands on him and his eyes open. So now Jesus tells Ananias that story of what Saul saw in a vision. Verse 13, then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. And Isaac says, he has authority to bind me. And you're sending me directly to this man? Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him, watch this, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my namesake. I will show him how many things he must suffer for my namesake. In other words, I'm going to show him what his calling is to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And I need to show him how many things he's going to have to suffer to fulfill his assignment. He's going to have to go through suffering. Well, you remember the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul listed out many of the things he went through. We don't know of anybody that went through that many different persecutions and tribulations and such. But Jesus told him right up front, right up front, how many things he must suffer. So I love this also. Go for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name. So many people we look at and we think, well, these are unbelievers or they're maybe even wicked atheists and such. But we don't realize that God has a plan for them. And some of them are going to come to the Lord. And not only that, but be used greatly by the Lord. And that was certainly true with Saul. Verse 17, and Ananias went his way and entered the house. Watch this. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, called him brother, because he's a believer now. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came. So evidently, Jesus told Ananias about that, too. Or the Holy Spirit has revealed it to him sometime between the conversation with Jesus and this event. So he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me to you has sent me, excuse me, that you may receive your sight. Now watch this, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now we don't have record that Jesus told him, go lay hands on him that he may be filled with the Holy Spirit. But evidently, on the way there, the Holy Spirit prompted him that he not only needs to lay hands on him for his eyes to be opened again, but that he might be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now notice here, he calls him Brother Saul. So that means he's recognizing him as a believer, but then says, but I'm supposed to lay hands on you that you might receive the Holy Spirit. Once again, we see the distinction between salvation and the fullness of the Spirit. Can you see this? So watch this. So he lays his hands on him. Verse 18, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Verse 19. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately, verse 20, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. So he went from being the biggest persecutor of believers in Jesus to preaching in the synagogues of Jewish people that Jesus is the Son of God or the Messiah. Verse 21, then all who heard were amazed and said, is this not he who destroyed those who call on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose? So in other words, people had heard about this. This was big news that somebody had been sent to arrest believers in Jesus. And so they're asking, isn't this the guy that was sent here for that purpose, that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews, confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, watch this, proving that Jesus is the Christ. What does that mean? Proving that Jesus is the Christ. Well, you have to know this. Saul was a Pharisee. Saul was a Pharisee. His job, his occupation was to learn the scriptures. Well, the only scriptures they had back in that point is what we now call the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi. And so Saul would take the Bible, Genesis through Malachi, all the prophecies about the Messiah, and he would prove that Jesus is that person. Look at look at this scripture and look at what happened with Jesus. Look at that scripture and look at what happened with Jesus. He took and proved to these Jewish people, that Jesus is the Messiah. All right, I got so excited, lost my place here. Okay, so watch this, verse twenty-three. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. <laughs> well, he obviously didn't convince everybody, and those that were not convinced, we got to get rid of this guy. They thought this guy is this guy's winning people over to being believers in Jesus. And so they didn't stop being Jews. A lot of people think that these were conversions out of Judaism and into Christianity, and that's not the case. All of these people still saw themselves as Jewish people, but they're Jewish people that found their Jewish Messiah. So they didn't see themselves as leaving Judaism. They saw themselves as just being more enlightened Jews than the normal Jews and having received the Lord, the Messiah that the Jews have been waiting for, see? So after many days uh after many days were passed the jews plotted to kill him think about this he just got saved he starts preaching and they already want to kill him <laughs> let me tell you something paul went from being excuse me saul went from being a passionate persecutor of the church to a passionate uh, apologetic preacher i don't mean apologetic in the sense of apologizing but a defender of the faith that Jesus is the Messiah. He was passionate to the point. He irritated people so badly that he was so skillful at what he was doing already. They wanted to kill him. They thought the only way we can deal with this guy is we, we got to get rid of him. So they plotted to kill him, verse 24. But their plot became known to Saul and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. I mean, they were serious. This was not just a threat. They were trying to kill him. Verse 25, then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. So at night when nobody was watching, they couldn't go through the gate because people were watching the gate to catch him. So they had to let him down out of a window in the wall of the city in a basket to get to escape. Verse 26, and when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. This this. So now he comes uh, from way up in the north all the way down to Jerusalem. And it says, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. They thought, this guy is pretending. This guy is trying to get in with us uh, as if he's a really a believer, but he's just trying to get in to arrest us and uh, catch us. Verse 27, but Barnabas took him, took Saul, and brought him to the apostles. So first it said he was trying to be with the disciples and they did not believe him. But Barnabas, oh, this is a good man. He took Paul, brought him directly to the apostles, talking about the 12, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the Hellenists. Remember, the Hellenists are Greek-speaking Jews, so they were Jewish people, but they were kind of a, a different culture, speaking Greek. But they attempted to kill him, so here, look, he now he... They tried to kill him in Damascus. Now he comes down to Jerusalem. They're going to kill him. What is it? There's something about this man. He, whatever he did, he did it with everything he had. And so when he was defending the truth that Jesus was the coming Messiah, the one that was prophesied about, being a Pharisee, he knew those scriptures. And I'm telling you, it was hard to refute what he was saying. They thought, we got to kill him. We hate this guy. And, and this, this was Paul's life. And this is why Jesus said, I need to tell him how many things he's going to suffer from my name because he is going to be so, <laughs> so fierce in his defense of Jesus the Messiah, Yeshua, that he's going to suffer persecution during his whole ministry. But boy, did he win a lot of people with his fervent, passionate, relentless pursuit of winning people over to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, but they attempted to kill him. Verse 30, when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. So Caesarea is out on the Mediterranean Sea. So it's all the way to the west on, uh, above Gaza. In fact, uh, it's, uh, quite a, quite a number of miles above that heading up north, but around the center of the, of the nation. And Caesarea is a beautiful place. Even today, it's been excavated and such. You can go there. It's one of the stops that we always like to go to. But that's that was the primary port from which people would sail in and out to come to Jerusalem. You remember Jerusalem, very, very important, the most important city. It's the capital of Israel. It's the where the temple was. So that was the place that people were coming and going, especially Jewish people. So Caesarea was the port. Where people would come to Jerusalem in and out of because it was the closest port to Jerusalem. And so they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out. In other words, on a ship to Tarsus. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee and Samaria had peace and were edified. So notice once, once Saul left, they had peace. Why? He just, he just didn't let anything go. He was going to stand. He was going to preach. He was going to convince and such. But once he left, notice they had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They were multiplied. They were multiplied. So what's happening? Churches are being multiplied. Verse 32. Now it came to pass as Peter went through all parts of the country that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. There there he found a certain man named Aeneas. Uh, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Notice he didn't say, Father, we just pray right now, Lord, that you see this man who's lame. Lord, we just pray, Lord, that you would do it. Notice that's not the way Jesus prayed. That's not the way the apostles prayed. He said, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise, make your bed. And he arose immediately so all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. All who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon, these two towns, everybody turned to the Lord through a miracle. That tells you something about the power of miracles, doesn't it? At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. You know, in our day, you think, don't translate it. Just, just be called Tabitha, right? But it says, uh, Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas, this woman was full of good works and, and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the with, uh, widows stood by him, weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with him. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, notice he knelt down and prayed. He put everybody out. It really reminds me of the the miracle, the raising of the dead of Jairus' daughter. And you remember Jesus took Peter, James, and John, not the other nine, but he put everybody outside except for Peter, James, John, and the mom and dad. Everybody else out. Why? Well, there's an atmosphere of faith. You know, you get, you get unbelief going on. Like it says in uh, Mark chapter uh, six, it says in Nazareth, Jesus could not do a mighty work because of their unbelief. See, and so Jesus often would do this. He would want to get into an atmosphere where there's faith. And so he put everybody outside. Well, Peter looks like he's following suit. He put everybody outside the room. It was just him and the dead young lady or lady named Tabitha. It says he knelt down and prayed and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. Notice he didn't say a word to God about Tabitha. Didn't pray, oh God, we just pray that you do this and that and the other, like most people pray today. He took authority and said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Wouldn't that have been outstanding to watch that? And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. Notice, through a miracle. Many believed on the Lord, so it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. And so he stayed there and continued to teach and minister and win people to the Lord. Well, what a beautiful chapter, uh, huh. chapter 9. We got Saul of Tarsus saved. He starts preaching. They're trying to kill him already, but he's making an impact already. And we haven't even gotten to the place where they begin to call him Paul. So we'll get there. Well, I'll see you tomorrow for chapter 10 and uh,
0: invite some friends to read along with us. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.